What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Racially Speaking, where we have real and honest conversations about race as it's viewed through the lenses of faith, family, and vocation. As always, I'm your host, David, and you are listening to Episode 5. Last week, I had the pleasure of having a conversation with one of my new friends, Debbie Carlier. Debbie and I actually have a lot of mutual friends who, at least on my end, have sang Debbie's praises to me for a long time, so I'm really glad we got to record this together. Debbie is originally from upstate New York, has spent time in Boston, Massachusetts, Hong Kong, and most recently has lived in Blacksburg, Virginia for the last 20 years. Debbie also works at Virginia Tech University and is a passionate advocate for racial justice. Furthermore, this conversation was also really personal and even therapeutic for me, as Debbie is also a fellow Asian American. With that said, in our conversation, we discuss a lot of different things. Specifically, we delve into our different upbringings as Asian Americans, we open up about the racism we've endured as it's often gone unnoticed, we discuss the importance of knowing both the interconnectedness and distinction between the different types of racism different communities face, and last, we begin the episode by addressing the sudden rise in violence and overall anti-Asian sentiment toward the Asian American and Pacific Islander or the AAPI community here in America. As always, I hope that my fellow people of color feel seen and heard by this conversation and that it is helpful and informative to everyone who listens. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Debbie Carlier. Well, hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for coming to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. um, Look, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. I mean, you don't know this, but the plan was you're always somebody I was going to reach out to to come on here. Um, So, I mean, one, I'm excited that it's sooner maybe than I'd planned because I've been wanting to have this conversation slash maybe which we'll get into in a second. Um, Maybe I wish it wasn't on the terms that we're going to discuss necessarily, but Um, nevertheless, I'm, I'm really excited to do this with you. For our listeners, I'm trying to do better with giving my guests time to introduce themselves a little bit. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, I am second generation Asian American and mostly Chinese with about one eighth Japanese blood in me. What else can I say? I grew up in upstate New York and did some schooling in Boston and actually lived in Hong Kong for nine years. Had two, yeah, my husband and I lived for nine years. uh, So did development and relief work in in, uh, China with World Vision um, and worked for a university there for a bit. And had two of our, or both of our daughters uh, were born in in Hong Kong. So we joked that they're more, yeah, they're more than, they're more Chinese than I am. <laughs> so they were offered <laughs> wow. Chinese citizenship, which we okay. probably said, no, we'll keep American citizenship, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, um, and right now I'm here in Blacksburg. Uh, uh, I work at Virginia tech as director of uh, strategic initiatives and engagement at, in the college of engineering. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is an awesome title. Uh, it's a long title. It really means Jack of all trades. Give her okay. the projects that nobody else <laughs> wants to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. I'm half joking. <laughs> I mean, I heard engineering and you're at Virginia Tech, so that, that sounds important to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good school, but I'm not even an engineer. <laughs> so <laughs> it's even more funny. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, so you're just, just up the road. I look forward to the time where we can... Um, maybe do more meeting in person, get to know each other a little more. I'm looking forward to that too. I want to know your family more. Yeah, definitely. So you got uh, two daughters, right? Yes. Melissa and Megan. Okay. And you said they just got married this last year or last year? Uh, They got married in 2019, the same summer. And I loved loved them to death, but um, (laughs) back to back, that was a very busy summer. Um, Yeah. So yeah, they, they definitely kept us busy. One is uh, finishing up her master's um, in cello performance, and the other one oh, is working wow. for yeah. 
It's a lot of fun. She got to meet Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, oh, my her gosh. Recently. That's fantastic. That was very cool. Yeah. And then the um, older one is uh, actually working for the government, and she works with um, unaccompanied children in uh, in the refugee and resettlement organization Yeah, for the government. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for yeah giving us a little bit a little bio a little snippet sure <laughs> definitely sure. well um like i said i'm really excited to talk to you and learn from you thank you again for coming on um something i mean we're early on in this podcast um this is only i think episode five um but something you know unique about our conversation is yeah, i mean we're we're new friends i would even say you know you know kind of acquaintances and yeah. Um, before, uh, you know, my guests, you know, Christy, Dylan, and Zach, I've, I've known for quite some time. So I'm excited to, yeah, be able to do this while we're, you know, recorded and also um, delve into some of these topics. Um, I mean, with that said, there's not like an easy way to transition. Um, we're both Asian American and, you know, we're intentionally, obviously, have seeked each other out to, I don't know, uh, see how each other are doing, I think, and learn from each other. So, for those of you listening that might not be, you know, caught up on some of the stuff happening um, a lot, I think on the West Coast, but it's really all over at this point is just the the sudden rise recently, but then also probably over the last four years, um, big picture wise, but the sudden rise in violence and racism towards Asian Americans and the AAPI community, Asian Americans, um, Pacific Islanders. And so Debbie, yeah, we wanted to come on and have a conversation about that um, and share some thoughts. So to give kind of a backdrop, I just wanted to read something um, so that we're all on the same page, everyone listening, and just kind of go for it and delve into some stuff. So this is something um, it, um, I recommend following the handle Asians for Anti-Racism um, Instagram, and we'll give plenty more recommendations. But um, this is lengthy. I'll just preface it by that, but I want to give kind of a good backdrop for us to jump into. Um, so here we go. Um, in the months since the corona pandemic began, thousands of Asians in the U.S. have become targets of harassment and assault. The racist incidents began as the first cases of coronavirus spread across China last December and, di and disinformation reigned. As infections appeared in the U.S., President Trump repeatedly referred to COVID-19 as the China virus and Chinese flu and pushed a disproof theory that it had originated in a Chinese lab. By April, an IPSOS, which is a uh, research organization poll, found that three in 10 Americans blamed China or Chinese people for the virus. This fear is not new. In the past century and a half, the United States has made laws and national policies out of discrimination against ethnic groups from the Chinese Exclusion Act to Japanese internment during World War II. Historians and activists fear that today's targeted political rhetoric and harassment mirrors moments in the U.S. history when racism became state-sanctioned. As the incidents of harassment against Asians rose, A3PCON, um, which is a California-specific organization um, that advocates for the AAPI community. Um, they asked the California Attorney General's office to collect data. It declined, so the organization built its own reporting pipeline. Within two weeks of launching on March 19th, the Stop AAPI Hate Tracker had received nearly 700 reports. Um, from across the country, people described being spit on in grocery stores, yelled at on their jogs, and called racist names while waiting in line. It would be a mistake to think of these as isolated incidents. There's a recipe for growing seeds of hatred into exclusionary national policy. Begin with political leadership that elevates, oh, sorry. There's a recipe for growing seeds of hatred into exclusionary national policy. Um, and it uh, cites um, someone named Kulkarni. And he or she, I'm not sure, sorry. Um, says begin with political this begins with political leadership that elevates the fear stir in media support top off with popular culture that perpetuates stereotypes you really need uh, that whole ecosystem but it's very easy when there are these underlying beliefs for america to snap back into it um, and that was all a quote from um cool mm. um, the researcher it's a constant fight because these racist tropes are really part of the american fabric they're more American than not. 
Um, and in the past century and a half, the United States has enshrined discrimination against ethnic groups into laws and national policies. In the 1880s, um, yellow peril, which is fear of an Asian invasion and resentment of the cheap labor coming from China paved the way for the Chinese Exclusion Act, banning both new immigrants and existing residents from becoming US citizens. At the turn of the century, a rise in Indian immigration sparked dusky peril, a fear of what a Washington newspaper then described as Hindu hordes invading the state. Um, during World War II, another perfect storm led to Japanese internment. Editors at newspapers like the LA Times voiced their support for that policy, while war propaganda depicted Asians as crafty and cunning. And uh, I mean, this is, if you've been following the news, um, right on uh, topic. In one Dr. Seuss cartoon, rows of um, Japanese Americans line up on the West Coast to collect a brick of TNT or dynamite, waiting for the signal from home. The tagline says, on February 19th, 1942, Franklin um, Roosevelt ordered more than 120,000 Japanese Americans into internment camps. Uh, and then finally, after 9-11, Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs, many of whom were South Asian, documented scores of revenge-motivated crimes in the United States. Among the first killed were Sikh gas station owner Balbir Singh Sodai, and I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that right, um, in Arizona, and Vasudev Patel and Wakar Hassan, again, um, hopefully I'm pronouncing those somewhat accurately, um, two South Asians in Texas. And then here at the end, there's always been a systemic official and unofficial exclusion for Chinese. And this pandemic brought the debate back up again, um, says Chan, another researcher. When they look for someone to blame, they blame the Chinese. America has been slow to acknowledge its anti-Asian anti history. Um, in 1988, President Reagan apologized and paid restitution to survivors of Japanese internment camps. The Supreme Court ruling that enabled internment was overturned in 2018, and California apologized for its role earlier this year. In 2011, the U.S. Senate formally apologized for the Chinese Exclusion Act, and the House followed the next year. But the full history is rarely part of public school education. Part of the problem, says Adrian de Leon, an assistant professor of American studies and ethnicity um, at the University of South Carolina, or Southern California, sorry, is people saying this could never happen in America. The rest of us whose communities have suffered this can't imagine it happening. That is the manufactured historical ignorance that allows this nativism, racism, and contemporary violence to fester. Mm. All right. Good job. If you stuck with me through all that, um, everyone listening, I know that was a mouthful. Um, I wanted to give us Debbie some kind of backdrop. There's plenty of other things I could have read to be honest. And yeah. you know, you know that, but, um, out of what I just read, what, what sticks out to you and how should we, you know, me and you and those listening be responding to that information? Um, well, something I've been thinking about a lot that relates to this is that this is how I feel Asian Americans are they're considered they're not they're not always considered full-fledged citizens maybe they never have been but when it's convenient they're more of a citizen when it's circumstances change it's easy to drop them and that's how I've been feeling and I think that given the history that you just went through that you just shared here, um, it shows that we've never really addressed the problem, you know, or there's at least maybe some things have been addressed, but there's still a ways to go because, mm -hmm. you know, um, you mentioned that stop, what is it, the stop? Asian for anti-racism. Yeah, they, uh, I think they have new stats out. It's like they have recorded 2,808 cases of Violence yeah, against were, Asians. Yeah, this, yeah. this was from an March, older post. That's yeah. an older post. So from from March to December, and so mm -hmm. that's like that's like huge amount of cases. And I think that there have been reports saying that's like a thousand nine hundred percent more um, than normal. And I think that was the because of the pandemic and Trump's, you know, present number forty fives. Um, repeated references to COVID-19 being the Chinese virus or Kung mm -hmm. flu or China virus. I think yeah. all of those yeah, things were thrown out. 
Yeah, I was gonna say they that was a little bit older post and it didn't include many of the many of the versions of that yeah. whatever you call it, racial slur kind of. And I think that has basically set the tone for a lot of anti-Asian sentiment and backlashes and in, in real you know, things even in our community. So yeah, I mean, I think you touched on this a little bit. Um, it's important to, I mean, you r- referenced um, President, former President Trump. Um, a lot you could unpack with his role in all of this, but I think it is important to even separate. We're not claiming that he created this sudden rise on his own, right? Like it's yeah. something that just has been going on for years and years and years and years and years, but hasn't changed completely maybe it's gone through waves of mm. looking more convenient like you said or has gotten quote-unquote better but with it being deeply embedded in in communities these cultural communities um i guess we know better right based on personal experience um collectively and individually it's just interesting you know he, uh trump isn't the president anymore but yeah. we're still this rise is happening now post his term. And mm-hmm. so the damage has been done. And this is what I think I would say I've, I've been meaning when I've told, you know, those close to me of, I don't naively think that once he's gone, everything's going no. to, to be great again. In fact, I, I, like I said, I see everything coming by any means, but the damage has been done in so many ways. There's going to be so much um, that could probably get worse in some mm-hmm. ways. And then still so much to, heal from. And I think, you know, with him literally, you know, I can't count how many times I saw him leading chants, Mm. Kung flu at his rallies and how that is not him creating racism. That's him perpetuating it. And Mm. let's say he even didn't perpetuate it. How many times he was given an opportunity to just as a, Mm -hmm. I think a normal human being, a caring human being, maybe to separate himself from it you know, double down. And so I think, um, I don't know, that reality, I think we, going back to the question, have to grapple with regardless of being Asian or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, do you have more thoughts on that one? No, I mean, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He had opportunity. Um, it's not that Trump had a, uh, created this situation. It's, it's, we have a history that you just read through but he had a very uh, had a lot of opportunity to to speak up and speak ag- against anti-Asian sentiment, and he didn't. I think he just did the opposite by throwing using these terms. Um, I think that it also has been a challenge. It, it creates a challenge for a good challenge for Asian Americans to think about how they can change some of the ways. I think, at least from my observation, I feel that we're not very outspoken (laughs) when Mm. it comes to, I think I could be wrong, but my observations of the black uh, American community is a lot better at speaking up against anti-racism. I mean, against racism. I think we could, I know for myself, I should really speak for myself. I realize that I've always been more, silent about things or maybe not so observant. Um, I also realized that um, being married to a Caucasian American, you know, so mm-hmm. a white American um, gives me a lot of cover. I have privilege with that. Mm-hmm. So, but if I were to walk into a major grocery store, like a big one near our place by myself, mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel so comfortable in this climate because of experiences um, mm-hmm. I my friends have uh, shared with me in the past year, you know, yeah, uh, because of um, the pandemic. So I actually, there was one friend who, um, whose wife was shopping in our local, I would say one of our local Walmarts, I won't say where, and um, for 30 minutes, there was one woman who heckled her and just basically called her a China virus. Mm-hmm. You are a China virus. You are a Chinese virus, and said this repeatedly, and told her take back your like um, de- defective uh, masks back to China. Take them back to China, and this went mm-hmm. on for a half an hour, and nobody stepped in 
to help her mm-hmm. or to offer help or to see if she was okay. Not one person, not even a staff person. And mm-hmm. so she was just left there to handle this by herself or endure it. That was quite shocking, you know, to mm-hmm. learn about that. I mean, you mentioned even just the word shocking. So that was even one thing I think is interesting to talk about. So I'd say it makes sense for that to be shocking. But I mean, for you personally, I'm genuinely wondering, are you shocked overall with the anti-Asian sentiment that is um, going on right now? Does that make sense? Like me, I can understand. I, I know I would personally be shocked if someone, you know, harassed me or assaulted me. I'm probably less and less shocked right now, if I'm honest, but it would feel shocking, but do you overall with the rising sentiment of anti-Asian racism feel shocked based on your own experience? Um, Yeah. Growing up. Growing up or just living. Yeah. yeah, Living in America. (laughs) Yeah. Living in America. I think it's, that's a interesting, I don't know how to quite answer that. I think that um, the incident that happened, I just shared that happened in uh, Walmart happened in March so I have to say I was pretty shocked. Right. My experience in Walmart two months earlier uh, in January before the news really got out, but I was ahead of the curve. I was buying face masks for my friend in Hong Kong because she ran out. So she mm-hmm. said, so can okay. you get me some? So I was going to send it. I go there and there's no mask left because uh-huh. all the Chinese students had come back and they bought them, right? Because they, uh-huh. they know they knew that this was big. And at that time mm-hmm. in January, I don't think at least this area didn't no. take the yeah. yeah pandemic seriously. And so when I went, there was, I got a really nice, actually to say something nice about Walmart, um, a very nice staff member who actually took my um, request seriously because I couldn't find face masks. And she finally went around looking for with me and she said, yeah, we, we've run out because all the Chinese students have been back and buying it up. And she said, I understand that this is serious. And, you know, because her sister's husband did work in Korea. And so he was under quarantine by his wife. His wife said, I love you, honey, but I have four young kids at home and I just don't know anything about this. You need to stay in a hotel yeah. for a while. So okay. I, I found a good staff worker, you know, to help me. But I will say I had my own personal experience too recently this past summer. Which that okay. was surprising. It, it feels different when it happens to you, you know. And so sure. it's not like I didn't have any incidences when I'm growing up. It's been a long time. So I feel... Mm-hmm. And I have, I've been in Blacksburg for 20 years and this is not, I really haven't experienced anything like this before, but I think it's, it's the, you know, the circumstances that we're living in. I was walking out of um, the student center with a friend and she was Asian and we were both wearing face masks and we were walking toward a parking lot. All of a sudden this uh, car full of four uh, white um, young college men you know, started screaming from their windows were all down and they were screaming at us. And I turned my head and, you know, cause I thought, is this directed to us? I don't know. Um, but yes, it was because they zoomed in on us, you know, made eye con- on contact, stuck their heads out even further and swerved into the parking lot to get close mm-hmm. to us. And I told my friend, probably, you know, I just said, we, we're not going to the parking lot. We're going right back into the student center. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think back on that and I feel kind of mad at myself. It's like, I should have been more prepared. I was just kind of shocked that, I mean, mm-hmm. I just didn't expect anything like that, but I think it's yeah. because we were wearing masks and we we're Asian. And mm-hmm. there was another incident, um, in Blacksburg, uh, on move-in day, uh, where a student and his, and her, um, uh, parents were walking down, walking in downtown Blacksburg and a a number of students from afar, white students screamed, hey, you Chinese people, hey, you Chinese people. And well, they were Asian, Mm -hmm. but how do you know they were Chinese and they had no relationship and there was no reason to say that, you know, there's just, you know, so things are a little tense around here more than normal. I mean, I would, yeah, I mean, I would agree. And I mean, based on my personal experience. I think I'm both 
shocked and not shocked. Like I'm shocked, you know, when I hear, I mean, these statistics and then well, mm-hmm. even when I hear a personal story, like one um, that your friend encountered, um, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm not surprised by even the one that you just said you personally encountered, but overall the anti-Asian rate, anti-Asian sentiment doesn't surprise me at all. And I don't say that to, you know, sound like, Oh, I told you so it's more mm-hmm. just it. I experienced it my whole life at different, you know, different parts, whether I was on the playground when I was really little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I'm just going to assume you and your kids experienced this and please tell me, I'll be shocked if you say no, but yeah. we've all experienced, you know, being mocked for our slanted eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, things like that. I, I had a conversation actually, I think with uh, my wife recently and she was reading a book the, the author is Asian American and she, you know, kind of detailed being on the playground for mm-hmm. the first time and someone being mocked and pulling back and being mocked for the first time and someone pulling back her eyes and, you know, calling or something. And even, even my wife who, you know, is pretty informed with uh, this kind of stuff was like, well, you know, that she almost wanted me to say that didn't ha- that never happened to me. She's like, that was just her, right? Like, that's not a normal thing. And I was just like, no like that mm-hmm. is that's like the most common thing i could ever think of like that is mm-hmm. she didn't even have to write that for me to know that happened i'm assuming with your yeah mm-hmm, so oh, yeah. that, that <laughs> something you've been used to yeah but i have to say that for emotional reasons or whatever like you try to protect yourself and you don't think about it much but i have yes. recently like because of things happening now i have revisited my childhood and i would mm-hmm. say that like one incident is you know in around first grade, um, I started to, you know, I would walk to the uh, bus stop and there would always be this Jewish girl who was a couple of years ahead of me. And she just would always harass me or bully me, you know, chinky, calling me chink, chinky, mm-hmm. chinky Chinese. And for her, I think it was just, she thought it was fun, but I didn't think yeah. it was fun. Um, I didn't even, I, at that age, I, I was barely speaking English because I only spoke Mandarin Chinese up until age uh, five mm-hmm. because my grandparent, grandmother was living with us and we just spoke Mandarin Chinese. But I knew enough to know that that, that was some derogatory slur. Um, and then over, you know, a couple of years later, she became like a safety officer. And, you know, safety officer is somebody who's supposed to have a lot of integrity. That's how you get this position. You, you mm-hmm. watch for the safety of children walking the hallways in the elementary school. And she, you know, was an older class, upperclassman, fourth or fifth grade. And I finally started thinking, you know, how could she have gotten that position? She was so mean to me at the bus stop, you know? So I got it. I had enough English, you know, in me. Um, and I was able to write out a note to her and I passed it to her in the hallway as she's standing in her uniform, you know, with the orange slash. And um, she then took that note. And after that day, she stopped bullying me at the bus stop. Mm. So I, at least I had something in me to, I don't know why, I must have had it. I, I, first grade wasn't all that easy. There was another incident too. I, there's this one guy who kept on calling me catty eyes. I had these... I don't know if it's because my eyes were slanted, but I also mm-hmm. had these caddy glasses at the time too, so okay. like double whammy, <laughs> right? Yeah. So caddy eyes and, you know, have, hearing it repeatedly in class just didn't make me, I wasn't very much in control of my emotions. And I just, one day I just cried and cried and cried. And I think it was shocking to him. And he did stop after that. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I've had my... Those are my young childhood incidents. Um, I do remember even as a college student, I was visiting my husband, who was my boyfriend then, and walking down the hallways of our big, you know, our huge technology university, MIT, right? Walking down the hallways. Mm -hmm. And this guy, I think he was a staff member, maybe a cleaning staff worker, came down, I mean, it was just me and him. I walk, we're walking past each other or we're, we're zooming in on each other. And she's, he starts saying, chinky chunk, ching, 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 chunk. Mm. And I thought, really? Why here? I mean, are, aren't we grown ups here? <laughs> like why at this yeah. stage? So that was a little, that was a little odd. 
Yeah. <laughs> like you, um, the current climate has definitely, you know, forced me to reflect a lot. And I, it, yeah, unfortunately leads me back to certain things in childhood. Cause that's, um, and it's eerie having little kids now, but to know that it does start that early and so many incidents, you know, like that on, on the playground that it takes place for, uh, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, educators that are listening can, you know, chime, <laughs> chime yeah. in and let us know why, I don't know why that's the case, but, um, yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, I, I kind of kicked myself. Obviously, it's probably a good thing I didn't, but I want to be like, ah, well, I, I wish I would have gotten in more fights almost because I'm like, <laughs> I should have spoken up um, mm-hmm. for myself. But I think, I don't know, It's for me, it's helpful to understand why I felt how I felt. Um, and I mm-hmm. think as the more people I talk to that can empathize, it seems like that's that's not an uncommon response or the lack of response is not an uncommon response from Asians and Asian Americans. Um, I I feel like it is connected to how we're told to act. Um, And I feel like it, I don't know if you agree, but falls really closely under the model minority myth Mm -hmm. that we live under. And, you know, I'd say still do for sure. Um, You know, that being, and feel free to add to this, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, Asians are, you know, little, literally the model minority, you know, if, you know, they're hardworking, they're smart, get a math. I mean, then there's the other ones, you know, no Taekwondo and karate, all these things, um, you know, s- prepare for spelling bees in their spare time, you know, just all these <laughs> things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for me, you know, I'm, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm, a, I'm adopted. I didn't grow up culturally Asian. I kind of <laughs> don't fit any of those stereotypes for people that know me. Um, I kind of like what you said with the the feeling of not reacting. I, I feel like I've almost, that was almost a reaction of having internalized Asians don't speak up or Asians don't mm-hmm. fight back. Um, you're this, like you're the model minority, you're soft-spoken, you're almost, you're in the middle and just little, you know, comments, um, throughout my life growing up, I can remember, just remember them really clearly. And like, Mm -hmm. oh man, that definitely shaped me in some way. And one that comes to mind was in middle school. And was it the kind of dance where you, the guy asks a girl out, Sadie Hawkins, something, whatever. Yeah. The girl asks Sadie Hawkins. Girls ask the Okay. So maybe it was the opposite. I don't know. Maybe it was the opposite. And we were talking, one of those was coming up. I don't remember the details, but I remember someone telling me, I can't remember why race was brought up, but I don't know. We were having some stupid middle school conversation, but it mm-hmm. part of it ended with someone being like, oh, well, you could ask um, a black girl or a white girl because you're, you're, you could go with either. You're in the middle. And just, I remember, oh, really? yeah, I remember <laughs> in the moment, like I didn't know how to react. I was kind of like, oh, uh. <laughs> like it. And I think the person kind of meant it as a compliment, but it was yeah. also, she was also putting me in my place and telling me what what limitations were or, or choices were. And all the while they're saying what they could do. And it just putting a uh, social kind of order to things. Right. And that I can see how that shaped how I viewed uh, people and relationships. And yes, I mean, all that to say, these things we've mentioned Mm -hmm. compiling on one another with the current rise in anti-Asian sentiment, the overall you know existence and rise doesn't surprise me at all mm. because of personal experience. Um, but sure, like the the actual rise in violence and all of this is yeah, I'm not going to say I expected that <laughs> yeah. necessarily. So I think it's this weird middle of like shock, but not not shocked. Yeah, I I hear you. I mean. I think um, the worst, worrisome thing happening is a number, the number of Asian elderly people that are being attacked, mm-hmm. you know, violently attacked. And, for, and they're just walking down the sidewalk and getting attacked. That's just, that is shocking. That is pretty brazen, right? It's not like mm-hmm. saying words. It's actually physically yeah. shoving and hurting, you know, that just, that is bizarre. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's got to shock anybody. The- yeah. A mul- not just one, but multiple attacks. Multiple on attacks. The elderly is just a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another level. Take the most vulnerable. Um, I, I would. You you mentioned my kids. Um, 
Yeah. I I have to actually ask them more. I realize that I really didn't ask how their experience was growing up here. I don't know why. I think well, they're halfies, right? So and mm-hmm. also their last name is, you know, Carlier. So it's it's not an Asian name. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they had cover, a little bit of cover and privilege because of that. Um, and it's hard sure. for me to evaluate how Asian they look. <laughs> so um, I, my oldest, I feel like sh- there's some facial features that to me are very Asian. If she has like dark brown hair with highlights sometimes in, in the sun when, during the summer, but if it were all black, maybe she yeah. would look even more Asian, right? I don't know. And then I my, can give you some pointers, but I haven't, uh, again, I haven't met your kids. So I, I can't even yeah. chime in. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then my, my youngest one is often mistaken for like some European or Hispanic or Italian, you know, just, but mm-hmm. not really Chinese. So I don't think their experience is the, you know, has been, I don't know. I really need to ask them what it, it's been like for them. I don't think it is quite as bad but they struggled with the bicultural thing or tricultural yeah. because they were born in Hong Kong. That is, that was the real thing for a real thing for them because. What a, yeah. Can you elaborate? Like what? Well, um, having um, like culturally, there's a part of me that's quite Chinese. I, I have, I love Chinese food, <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. they love Chinese food. They lived in Hong Kong in their early years. My, the oldest was six years old when we came back here, but she remember we used to go back every three years. So she remembers mm-hmm. a lot of that. So there, like, I remember the first year she went, she lost a lot of weight because she wouldn't eat sandwiches. <laughs> she was <laughs> like, what is this? This is not lunch. Lunch has to be hot with rice, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, yeah. there, I'm sure there were some cultural issues like that. And maybe okay. the way, um, you know, Paul and I, it's a fusion of East and West you know, yeah. rearing kids and maybe I had more sway because <laughs> I was the mom. <laughs> so, and what sure, I know is what, yeah. And that's what I'm used to, you know, my parents, you know, are first gen Chinese. So their upbringing was a little different. You know, I think than they're different from their, their peers here. Um, yeah. Right. I had no, them do the Chinese thing that I thought I would never do, but I had them play like string instruments, <laughs> like, so, I don't know, but it's <laughs> No, I mean, as, oh man, I, I, as you're bringing, yeah, their stories up, that would just be super interesting. I mean, I selfishly want to, yeah. want you to follow up and hear from them just because, I, I mean, sure. having, t- having two kids of my own that are, you said, you know, mixed. I call happies. them happies. Um, I call them happies. Yeah. Um, they... I, I think look like right down the middle, like both of us, like both Caitlin and I, um, mm-hmm. Caitlin, who's white for, I think probably everyone listening knows that, but, um, Ali, my five-year-old, um, also oldest, um, going back to, um, how early it can start. I've already witnessed him ha- have a, a microaggression said to him okay. and, so that's, I mean, that's one thing. And it was, and I think it's really common for Asians to experience, but like the food shaming thing, that's something that I, you know, and again, I told you a little bit about my story. I'm not even really, I'm not culturally South Korean. I don't, you know, really identify with that. I identify with culture I was brought up in, but. But um, they, but your skin color and right. your facial and features, so, you can never escape that. Right. The food, yeah. so the food shaming is really common. And I still, to yeah. this day, um, I've kind of gotten over it, but some of my friends from college will remember this. Cause I think it was not until college where I really understood how to articulate it a little bit, but, mm. um, I'm still insecure if I, if I'm sitting around, you know, on campus or somewhere eating sushi. Cause I'm yeah. like, all right, who's going to, who's going to say something. Um, who's oh, going to say something about me liking rice. Um, uh, I just expect it. I just grew accustomed to living with that kind of you know, mm-hmm. fear or else I would just avoid eating that kind of thing. If I was in like a group setting, um, mm-hmm. just cause I was like, I don't feel like dealing with the ignorant comments. Anyway, going back to, I mean, your kids, I would assume, and I'm wondering this for myself too, and my kids, but I would assume they would probably, and you, you know, ask them this, but yeah. probably more, I would say, I don't felt the, or heard the question, what are you? Or like that kind of thing. The whole, I need to ask them. I never, it's silly. I have never really asked them that question. I just, 
Yeah, I'm going to have to have, you're making me think that I need to have. I don't want to make you feel bad. No, No, it's not bad. (laughs) I mean, I just, I'm sure that there are struggles I've never talked to them about, um, but they're different. They're definitely going to be different. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll have to ask. Yeah, that would be interesting. I I think also there are phases in their life where they felt more, like they identified more with their father, you know, his culture. And there are other times when, Mm -hmm. Paul's culture and sometimes they felt they identified more with my culture right um because he spent years you know using Mandarin Chinese and he studied Chinese after marrying me and um so some people would say that his probably I would definitely say his Chinese reading is better than mine and maybe yeah and he can speak Chinese fluently so <laughs> like, I didn't know that. That's incredible. Yeah. So, and he went, because we lived in Hong Kong for nine years. I mean, I think he embraced a lot of the culture there just because he, he liked a lot of it. He just loves to eat. So, so Hong Kong yeah. food is awesome. So having said that there, he, there are things that humor wise, I think they probably identify more with him that stems from his own cultural background they make fun of me my daughters make fun of me because I'll slip in some some uh, words that are not quite right or cliches that are not quite right I'm not I can't even think of one now like top of my roof what do I mean the top of my mouth (laughs) something like Uh, that just because there's you know even though I was born in America I did have I, I spoke Chinese up until age five and my, you know, you can't hear an accent, but I think there's like small things that indicate that, you know, at home, English was not the first language. <laughs> so like, uh-huh. so a little bit of that. And it's, it's, it's all fun though. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's cool to hear both you processing and processing what, yeah, your, your daughter's likely experienced. So, I mean, you, um, you touched on this some and it's okay if you don't, if there's not much more to add, but um, what would you say benefiting from something like white adjacency looks like for you, or maybe has looked like for you? Cause like you said, you know, Paul being white and how, I mean, how do you see it being connected to things like the model minority myth? Well, I'll speak upon first what it's like um, having a, you know, white husband and, I think only in recent years, I've realized that, you know, going to the airport is, is um, with him, gives me some cover. If I go to the airport um, to travel and I'm blessed, well-dressed, and I'm all by myself, I think I would get not as nice service. I don't know. I noticed little things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Having him, being connected to him, I, I realize is makes it easier for me. I have single friends who are Asian and they share with me, they remind me that it's easier for me, you know, and they're right. Right. So, because, um, especially at least my Asian female friends, I think they have a harder time sometimes in certain contexts, you know, they don't feel as protected. Um, and I think they feel like they don't get the same uh, level of service or, just respect in certain circumstances, not in every circumstance, but there are some. Um, in terms of how this relates to the model minority myth, and yeah, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of, I guess it reminds me of that case. Did you, did you read about, um, hear about the Harvard admissions case where there was a lawsuit that was... Yeah, um, was, it, was it the one... Um, it was almost like backwards. Like they were they declining Asian people or right. no? yeah. Okay. They're kind of uh, like bare bones. I can't remember all the details. I think base. I think that they were basically saying that Asians were being, the lawsuit was suggesting that they were being discriminated against. And um, by, I think, you know, given I had read somewhere and I don't know how true this is, but that, you know, like, a negative 50 in the score or something like this. I'm not sure what mm-hmm. the, the number was, but the, somehow that they were being rated on a different scale that they had to achieve higher because, and then, okay. then there was a response that said, Hey, well, 
actually, if we adjust for that, then, then it affects the white people as well. And so it's kind of pitting the Asians and the whites against the black community. So kind of the, I think the rebuttal was like, Hey, it's just not, it's not just Asians. We also have some type of parameter for whites, even though it's not as high, but if you adjust for this, it comes down and um, really, um, uh, I don't even know if I'm answering your question quite right. Um, No, that's great. That's fine. But if I took this, so, you know, just looking in on the model uh, minority myth, um, I think it does damage um, to, like, for example, the expectation is that um, Asians should be really good at math. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, if you ask my brother, he says, that's ridiculous because I know my math is terrible. And yeah, I mean, same, awful. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> his expectations are you know he's just like i'm not good at math but he's a great com- you know he's he's very witty he's a you know he's a very successful manager in a you know a corporate in the corporate world um mm-hmm. bu- business savvy great manager and yet he's not a math genius but he felt that constant pressure and i think also the other myth that um asians um are submissive and they have no, they, they are doing well in society because they work hard and um, they're responsible. Even the, the reality is there are some Asians that work really, really hard and they don't get ahead. So they're facing mm-hmm. discrimination. I know that my experience um, living in suburbia USA is different from a lot of my friends in Boston who lived, grew up in an urban setting. And mm-hmm. um for a lot of them, their parents were working in restaurants too, as well, you know, trying to yeah. make ends meet. And my friends didn't have a chance to see them uh, much growing up. And um, so they, I feel like they had to work a ton hard, you know, a lot harder than I did to get. Mm. And they're doing quite, quite well for, I mean, very, well, they're smarter than me. That's why, <laughs> but, but I feel like it's not... I think I was lazy compared to them. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying because my parents, I think they came over. My dad um, had the benefit of education in Taiwan. Um, and then he was able to get into a, a good graduate degree program here. Um, mm-hmm. So I felt like I had some privilege, you know, there. So I don't think all Asians have the same experience. Um, I had it easy. Yeah. So No, I mean, I think that's, yeah. I think that's key of just, and you can, you should say that about every people group. Like it, yeah. I think it's dangerous. The model minority myth that is, um, cause it obviously perpetuates stereotypes, but it kind of limits and stunts possibilities for an entire people group to live freely, I guess. But it also, you know, historically, you know, model minority myth, like all those words are really powerful. So like the model part has, and is currently being used um, you know, to pit us against the black community or other yeah. communities throughout history. But, you know, where the model minority myth uh, or, or being a model minority is pitted against the historical myth or belief that the black community is the opposite, right? Is lazy, yeah. can't, you know, can't get like, jobs, lack education, can't do all these things. And it's uh, it's a way to uphold uh, historically white supremacy. Yeah. Um, well, we're is, like, I know a harsh word to say, but yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I mean, we're like, Asians are supposedly closer to white when it's convenient, yes. not in the current climate. But I can see going back, you know, like certain eras, you see that, like I said, like we're, we're full-fledged uh, citizens or more full-fledged when the circumstances are right. And therefore, with our in when the circumstances are right and we're closely affiliated with the white group that really puts us pits us against the black uh our black american um, communities and that is not good because the same systemic racism and the same racial attitudes that they have to face are things that you know we asians have to Mm -hmm. face too when it's not convenient (laughs) you know what i mean so it's it's kind of it's it's a problem that is bad for all society, whites, mm-hmm. Asians, and blacks. We need to 
solve this. You know, we have to get rid of it. But, you know, um, there's, you know, tensions between Asians and, and Blacks, which saddens me. I feel like, um, I think growing up in the Siberia, USA, since we didn't have too many uh, Black Americans in our community, I didn't have too, you know, I, I had friends, but they weren't very close. And we didn't, I would say that um, I didn't experience a lot of tension, not because it just, you know, the demographics. But I know mm-hmm. for friends of mine who lived in more urban areas that there was, you know, tension and maybe it's because resources were scarce and there's competition for business uh, in when you're in this in the same neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that I understand that at least this is how, that's my observation. And I know I have a dear friend who's, um, is a black American uh, dear, and he's a colleague and I have other Asian American colleagues. And one thing that we've been trying to do is read a book together. We're reading um, Toni mm-hmm. Morrison's book, um, The Origin of Others. And yeah, I keep seeing that. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I teach English and I'm terrible. I have read zero Toni Morrison books. So I keep having, I keep finding myself having to admit that. So I, I have to get on that. That's, this is my first book and I've just started reading it, but we plan to okay. actually, uh, we've invited 20 other faculty and graduate students to come together and talk about a diverse group, you know, so there'll That's be great. Asians and Blacks. And I think it's, um, you know, as a Christian, um, I believe in Amago Day that we're all made in God's image and mm-hmm. every person, you know, is fearfully and wonderfully made and that we should celebrate um, any, you know, ethnic differences that we have as, as something beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that Toni Morrison's book is going to like have a lot of overlap in that area. Um, So, but I'm looking forward to that. And I think this is one way my friends, my diverse friends, my, my diverse friend group is we're trying to, to, help heal the process, help to appreciate, you know, each other's ethnic ethnicity and be aware of some of the uh, racial injustice that each group has faced and come alongside each other and be prepared to speak up for one another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the silver lining for the current, you know, climate we're in, you know, especially over the last four years and, and, right now 2021 the silver lining for me has been the necess the natural um unity at least for for myself i I won't speak for everybody but the unity for people of color um that there's there's we've almost been forced to have of Mm -hmm. understanding each other's history and being there for each other as we navigate together our different experiences but like i you know i don't think there would be this kind of unity amongst people of color um, without some of the terrible things that have been happening. So I I say silver lining, you know, lightly, obviously I'd rather not be the case. Mm. Um, But I mean, that was kind of, by the way, you've done an incredible job of just swooping through all the questions without me even asking them. So that's, I mean, man, you've covered like, that's fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. But one, one, which you've already again begun to touch on was, I mean, so what, what do you think it looks like for the AAPI community for us to advocate fully for ourselves without contributing to things like anti-Blackness, like the anti-Blackness rhetoric, which we've touched on a little bit. So, I mean, I guess what I mean is I think historically model minority myth rhetoric pits us against the Black community, the mm-hmm. AAPI community against the Black community. And I think personally, I see this right now as I struggle with this some, um, but overall, as a people group, I feel like we've struggled with feeling confident enough to speak out for us for a lot of reasons. But one of them for me is like, well, I, I don't know if I should, you know, how much to grapple with because the black community has had it so much worse, which yeah. is fine, which, you know, and is true. There's certainly stuff I've learned about the Asian community that I didn't know about that is in some ways just as yeah. heinous. But yeah. I, like, I'm in a weird 
kind of tension with that because it's like I I don't want to be uh I don't want to be an all lives matter person you know what I mean like yeah, at yeah, this time because that's absolutely true um and what do you have uh help I me like, out what do you think about that <laughs> oh, I'm giving well, you really easy questions no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I don't know I'm I, I'm also struggling with this I mean yeah I obviously usually when we talk about inclusion, diversity, and equity in our workplaces or in society, um, it's usually the conversation about black and white and the tensions there yeah. and the racial reconciliation. And then Asians sometimes feel like, wait, <laughs> like what, what about me? You know, like I, I'm a person of color, right? Yeah. I have a great, yeah. Yeah. I'm right with you. I have a good, uh, example. Um, I'm in a book discussion group with, um, with colleagues as well on um, a book we're reading, but um, we're, we're in the group and yeah, a colleague who I don't know very well, but um, she's Asian or Asian American and um, English is certainly not her first language. Uh-huh. Um, and we were talking again, like just the black and white, the contrast between black and white racism and stuff. And she kind of chimed in, not aggressively or anything, but was, you know, I think getting the courage to speak up for herself. And she said, well, there's other races. Like, I feel like we just, we need to talk about all the races yeah, and, yeah. you know, said yeah. all lives matter. And I felt a little bad for her because, you know, you know, I, most people were like, oh shoot, shuddered. Yeah, yeah. But it, I, I felt bad because there's certainly unawareness of yeah. how, what that would mean to certain people. And I'll also double down and say, this is kind of twofold that that's, I think it demonstrated what I'm kind of fumbling through of like, it's just, it's that reality of awkwardness. Like, well, I want her to speak up. Yeah. Obviously that's going to hit people the wrong way currently right now. Yeah. But also I'll say like, it was really cool to see um, someone respond to, I'd gotten to know um, off and on through our book group. Um, A white colleague was actually the one that spoke into that, like super eloquently and gently. It was just like, cause we kind of just moved on and he was like, I just want to go back real quick. Um, and I can remember the last, in our first groups, like he wasn't in this place and Mm. I "I just want to go back, you know, no disrespect or anything, but just, you know, it can be and explained, you know, what was problematic about stating that at the time. Um, and so I thought that was great because it was somebody that was willing to speak up, um, who's mm -hmm. white to advocate for, um, the, the black people in the group. Yeah. So that's the thing. I think that, Asians need to do a better job of understanding the history. Like I know that I started to do that after the Charlottesville rally. I still have, I'm such a baby. I feel like crawling, trying to catch up because I Mm -hmm. never got educated. You know, my history or social studies classes did not teach me a lot of, you know, what just what slavery was like for the black uh, community, what, um, the civil rights movement, you know, we glossed over it very quickly and I just did lost a lot of the details. And, um, so I'm, you know, I think that if we don't, that's why it's so important to understand the history and without that understanding, we, we can't, agents will have a harder time coming alongside or, or, and speaking Mm -hmm. up, but they, they need to do their due diligence. They need to, they need to study up on this to understand. Um, yeah. Personally, well, I, I, have, I have some, I, my black friends are so great. They, during this time, they understand. So they're so empathetic and they're yeah. so like, like I had, I got a text from a, a, one of my black friends that said, Hey, I've been just, I just read the CNN report on anti, you know, violence in the, in, uh, the Asian community and anti Asian Mm -hmm. sentiment. I feel so terrible. I'm so angry. And I like, I can't believe this, you know, like he, he was, he totally understood what it felt like. Right. And I think the Asians should realize that the black community can actually come alongside us too. Right. Um, But it makes it hard if you don't understand how much more layers and layers of suffering, kind of like if you peel Mm -hmm. back up, an onion, you're going to see that there's underneath, there's a lot of suffering, you know, that we've never had to deal with. I feel like we could talk more and more, but a lot of, yeah, always. there's so much. 
Always. Yeah. Um, I always like to end with doing some recommendations. So um, it's, uh, I was kicking myself because, I mean, we scheduled and planned this time, you know, uh-huh. in advance to meet, but there's, I feel like this weekend and just this last week, there's been a bunch of stuff that I plan to watch that has been, has come out um, movies wise that I'm like, oh uh-huh. man, I wish we could have, well, we'll have to do it again, but I, I wish we could have watched some of these and then. Minari, you mentioned. Right, Minari. Yeah, I wish I could have yeah. watched these and then recommended them after we'd watched them, but I'll still recommend them. And then I don't know, yeah. maybe we'll do a follow up somehow. Yeah. But um, Minari, I know very little about it. I know it's about mm-hmm. a um, Korean family that immigrated to America and it won a bunch of awards. And kind of the hot um, take on it is that it won Golden Globes for, I think, something like best foreign film. But mm-hmm. the hot take is, this is this should not just be a foreign film because it's the most American story there is out there. And so I thought that was an interesting take. I haven't seen it, wow. so I can't comment, but the preview looks fantastic. Um, uh, there are, oh man, a couple of the movies coming out, but uh, Disney's, um, which I just heard the preview, it's, it's uh, Raya, not Raya. Um, Raya. Raya and the oh, Lost my- Dragon. My, I think my son-in-law recommended that. Yeah, okay. Raya. Yeah, which, okay, what is which it? we... Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a fictional place. I'm pretty sure. I watched the preview. Um, mm-hmm. a story, I, uh, I'm fumbling through it. I can't remember which culture it is. Um, mm-hmm. But it's uh, the main character, Raya, is a cool. little girl trying to uh, find the last dragon for Aww. something. And I can't remember. That's a terrible summary. But it yeah, looks cool. it looks fantastic. And it's voiced mm-hmm. by... Um, Aquafina from I don't oh, think she's the main Aquafina? character. Yeah, I don't think she's the main uh, character, but she's one of the main characters. Um, cool. Aquafina from Crazy Rich Asians. Yes, and I forget the main character's name, but that looks fantastic. Um, looks great. And then uh, Nomadland, which I I again don't know much about, but I hear that's getting a lot of um, attention and stuff. Ooh, so, good. I have. All right, that, that's a lot of recommendations of stuff I have not seen. So. The other recommendations, hey, yeah. Can I make a recommendation? Yeah, because no, I was you said get to. go ahead. <laughs> you were because you were interested in. Uh, you, you said you were. This is actually before we started, <laughs> but you said you're interested in getting into your own. Um, you know, I guess uh, ethnic heritage. You know, yeah, and learning more about that in Korea. Well, I'm a K drama freak. <laughs> Okay. to tell you so if you ever want some k-drama recommendations i like well i recommend crash landing on you <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah one. yeah someone recommended one. that recently yeah. too yeah that's on so, netflix right yeah it's really good okay yeah and i heard that is fantastic it's wonderful i have yeah. a couple um light-hearted ones because i know stuff we talked about and oftentimes with this educating ourselves with these issues is can be heavy hearted. So I got uh, some other lighthearted um, recommendations. One, have you seen um, always be my maybe it's with, it's on Netflix. It came out, I think a couple years ago, it's uh comedian, Ali Wong and Randall Park. Who's from oh Brazil. yes. I did see that. I forgot the title. Yes. I watched Me and it. Caitlin love yes. that movie. Really? Uh, yeah, it just, was funny. It's a, it's a rom-com. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, cultural uh yeah yes depictions and just i, I thought it was a really it's good movie. really fun well. to watch it's not a like a hard thing to watch it's really no, good and it's, educational at the same time yes um it's very and fun. then for rom-com people no shame i love rom-coms uh caitlin and i just watched um it's, it's a trilogy um to all the boys i loved before which is i mean it's like a high school rom-com okay um and main characters, uh, Asian. And the last one they go to actually Seoul, um, oh. Korea for part of it. And I, I don't know. I think it's, I'm gonna have it to was, it's, that it's awesome to watch more and more lead Asian characters in films. Um, it is which cool. Me, which me and Zach talked a lot about in, in one of our episodes, but, um, there's more and more. And so I, I'm happy to see a lot of those. What about um, Kim's Convenience? Do you like that one? I've, that's Have been on the that? docket for, yeah, <gasps> I haven't seen that. That's been you on the docket to, to watch. Yeah. Oh, it's very cool. Netflix, Kim's Convenience. Right, I keep seeing it. It's one of my uh, advertisements. So yes. every time it comes off, I'm like, ah, I got to watch that. I got to stop yes. rewatching yes. Um, The Office and uh, yeah. jump into that one. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch Parasite at all? 
No, I didn't watch that either. That's a and dark one. I'm so one. far behind, Debbie. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's a dark one. I, I mean, Paul and I watched it, and I, it was very well done. Um, mm-hmm. But it's dark, and I don't have interest in releasing it again. <laughs> so even though yeah, I think it was, it was well well done, it's just like I don't need all that darkness. There's enough darkness. No. But right, my my struggle is I I tend to like the dark movies, yeah. but whenever with you know with two little kids, whenever yeah. we have like a free can I have a free night to like watch a movie? Yes. Yeah, you know it's it feels mean of me to be like oh let's watch Parasite or something like that. Like we yeah, much yeah. rather watch you know, um, yeah. always be my maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's something, like that. um, something that is lighthearted. Yeah. So, yeah, it, look, um, thanks so much for doing this, Debbie. I learned yeah. a lot from you and yeah, just enjoyed hearing more of your story. Well, I look forward to talk, having more conversations with you. It's, it's really a joy to be here. And um, I think I learned a lot from you actually. <laughs> so thank you for having me. <laughs> Well, next time, I mean, we, we'll definitely do another one because I want to hear about the follow-up conversations from our recommendations and then also um, your daughters. <laughs> yeah, I need to talk. I'm going to talk with them. I have, you made me realize I need to talk with them. <laughs> so. All right. Well, thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Again, a big thank you to Debbie for doing this episode with me. I'm certainly wiser having engaged with her, and I hope that you feel the same way. As always, please check out the show notes for links to the many things we refer to throughout the show. Also, if you don't already, you can follow me on Instagram at dmfipsy, that's dm as in Matthew, fipsy with the Y, and feel free to reach out in my DMs if you ever want to dive deeper into something that you've heard on an episode. I'm all ears. Our music was, of course, written and produced by Dylan Dent, and our artwork was created by Ashley Bush. See you all next time, and thank you so much for listening.